Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. This is our special edition episode, Cheers the First Five Years. We are your hosts, Marlene Simi and Andy Blaker, discussing our reflections on the first five years of Cheers before moving on to the second half of the series. How's it going tonight, Andy? It's going really good. How about you? Oh, it's going well. I like this idea, which was your idea, to have a moment of reflection of our first five years of viewing Cheers before we move on to the latter half plus of the series. So yeah, it's been fun so far. And we said at the outset in the very first episode that I had watched the show when I was little or a very young adolescent, started watching it, and then had picked it up after years of not really seeing it a couple of years ago. So I was well familiar with it by that point. And you had never seen an episode before. So we thought that that would be a fun combination for discussion. And we've done five years of recordings now. So we want to get some of your reflections on what do you think of the the show? What do you like and dislike? How are you finding its discussion worthiness and so forth just to kick us off? Absolutely. Well, there's not really anything that I dislike. I've I've truly become a fan. It's it's one of those shows that I think I would give the title of like a comfort watch. You know, one of those shows that you just put on and you kind of know what to expect. Once you've seen a few episodes, you kind of know what's going to happen. But there's there's comfort in there's comfort in the formula. There's comfort in the characters. There's comfort in the writing and the dialogue. And I have a number of shows that have always been like that to me. And I think that this has been added to that list. And to me, that's the highest honor you can get because you watch a TV, you watch television for escape. You watch it for some sort of, you know, you, you want to be sucked in. At least I do. And mm-hmm. so that's what this is. It's a lot of fun. Great characters. Great writing, too, especially for n- not that all... S- when I say especially for a sitcom, what I mean is there are, you know, some sitcoms in the past have not had the highest caliber of writing. And I think that Cheers has this whole other level, largely probably due to the the, the Charles brothers and everyone. Mm-hmm. But it just has such a great team. There's cohesion there and and everything seems in service of the characters. You know, the characters, you know, and there's exceptions here and there like anything, but for the most part, the characters are, are true to form. You know, you, you write for the characters. They're not sacrificed for the sake of here's, you know, this week's plot line or whatever. There's right. You write to the characters, and I think that that is something that is is a hallmark of the show. So, no, I've I've enjoyed it so much. I, I you know, we've talked um, offline before. I came up with the idea of doing this first five years because, again, I have seen next to nothing of what comes next, mm-hmm. but I know that with Shelley Long gone and a new character, and it's not just a new character, you know, characters come and go on sitcoms all the time. It's it's a lead character, and, and, and Diane was a huge part of the, the dynamic. It was Sam and Diane. Most stories were written around their relationship, and so now that we are losing that relationship... I'm really interested slash excited to see what comes next because it is kind of a, a, a different thing for a show to do when they have relied mm-hmm. so much on a certain dynamic for five years. And then I know that it does become more of, from what I've read, an ensemble piece, which I think you've got the characters to do that. And so I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see how that pans out. I think they built as an ensemble in this early period too, which will be helpful going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely, I, I definitely think you know you're right. I mean, I, I started watching 
the end of season five, but really season six is when my viewership kicked in. So I'm, you know, I, I know what happens and it's, it's, it'll be exciting to kind of get your take on it and so forth. And it is a different dynamic because Diane, I mean, there was the Sam and Diane relationship that pushed the series and like the, you know, the narrative overall. But then you also have like the relationships that Diane had with the other people in the bar and how that influenced all of the character dynamics and so forth that it has to, to some degree, change, you know, without her there. So that would be fun to see. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And so we've kind of just, you know, I know we kind of talked about what did we want to cover in this. It's almost like a wrap-up, right? A wrap-up. We had the first Mm -hmm. five years. It's the same series, but in in many ways it does seem, from what I have read and what you've told me, it's like the end of an era. You know, you have, you kind of pivot to an all-new character, new dynamics, you know, mm-hmm. we're kind of closing one chapter and opening another. And so I, I was just kind of interested in, you know, of the chapter that we've seen, five years, which for a show that ran 11 years, you have five incredibly strong seasons, which just by looking back, cultural zeitgeist or whatever, Sam and Diane is, is a thing, right? I mean, it's always mm-hmm. been the couple and there's been so many moments from these first five years. And so I just thought we should give credit where it's due you know in terms of you know there's been so much of of so many great moments from this these five years um so we're kind of keeping it really kind of fast and loose no real structure kind of just a conversation of Mm -hmm. what we've enjoyed for the five years maybe what stretched our limits for the past five years which may (laughs) or may not be the same thing i don't know Mm, um and and character moments and episodes and just just different things like that i just wanted to kind of free you know, freewheel it and see right. what happens. Well, I will say that this is just a freewheeling beginning then of that. Right before we were recording, I just decided I needed to start rewatching Diane's Nightmare, my favorite of season four. <laughs> well, I of course. Pontificated and, you know, exuded yeah. over endlessly when we discussed it and still could do so. Um, I just was in the mood for it. So that's uh, maybe we could sort of start with that I just I there's certain episodes that I just adore and that's one of them yeah it's my season favorite and it's probably in the top five for the first five years I guess Mm -hmm. if I were to go through all of them and rank them it's just funny funny character bits funny guest actors we've always kind of highlighted those people I like that the Sam and Diane relationship like that dynamic is it becomes part of it in the last you know, the act, which is hysterical when they're in the office and Sam, you know, Diane is dreaming, I guess, imagining that Sam is this cultural effete, you know, that's writing a symphony and he's serving her tea and he's quoting, was it Blake, I think? Mm, Maybe Shakespeare. I, so. I can't remember exactly. I have to confess, I didn't get to finish the episode because I was running a little behind time-wise, but that, that, yeah, that last act in there. So there's that part of the relationship that's in it, but it's not the entire episode. And I think that I really, pref- I preferred it when it was like that, when it was, you know, there, there, there are bits of them in the episode, but it wasn't necessarily about their relationship. I just thought it was worked into that episode wonderfully and hilariously. So that was, you know, I mean, I didn't think through all this when I was choosing to watch it. I was just in the mood to see it. No, absolutely. But it's a no, I mean, I think... I think that's that is a great episode, and you know it's one of those where I I was watching I I should say for our, our listeners. Um, so when we started the show, I was watching the show on Hulu. Okay, 
and Hulu removed seasons five onward, um, mm. I don't know, last month or something. So I was like, all right, well, this is a sign from the gods that mm-hmm. I need to just get the DVD set, which, you know, I'm a firm believer in physical media. If there's a show you love, you need to own it. You need to have it to be you able to watch it. You have to have right, it because, exactly. you know, you're you're just kind of jerked here and there with the, the streaming wars and who owns what and all even that subscript- nonsense. Yeah, even Exactly. The- and I'm, yeah. I have enough subscriptions. I'm not in the mood to have anything else. I'm not going to get a new app just so I can watch the show and then what happens in two years. I'm going to own it on DVD. So I bought it on DVD and I was watching through a bonus with DVDs is a lot of them have bonus features and stuff and they they do like you know clip shows and different things like Mm -hmm. you know highlighting you know the best of a certain character in a season or whatever and those are always fun because I feel like you can just kind of dive in and get greatest hits in you know two minutes or less or whatever right and um so I've been doing that with the first couple seasons of, of Cheers on that I that I acquired on DVD and everything. And one of the things that I love about this show is that even, you know, there there has not been a single episode that I feel like has been bad by any stretch of the imagination or our definition. None of them are mm-hmm. bad. There are always laughs. There are always good moments, great lines in it. And that's one of the things because I don't. I don't know, in my own view and experience, I don't feel like that's always the case. You know, there's always been some great lines and things to like about a certain episode and particularly as it applies to certain characters. And so one of the things for me that I've noticed about the show is, you know, you can kind of like almost dive in anywhere and get something about a character you like, if, whether whether you're invested in Norm or, or Diane, you know, they'll have their moments, sure, but there's always something to enjoy about them, I think. And so that's one of the things that I think I, I was looking through, you know, what episodes do we want to talk about? What have been some right. of my standout episodes from the first five years? And there's been so many Mm-hmm. And it's hard to really identify what are those episodes, you know, and, and, and why, at least for me. Yeah. I think, too, even some of the episodes, when we would go through and do our, you know, individual season retrospective, some of the episodes that were in my least favorite of the season list sometimes had, like, a secondary story or a scene or character moment that was among my favorites. Right. So it wasn't, you know, all for nothing. Like, there was one, I want to say it's the Bells of St. Cleats in season three. When, you know, Cliff went to Florida in season three, or he came back, you know, at the beginning of season three and was talking yeah. about Florida. And a lot of season three for Cliff was just carrying on about Florida and all of the history of Florida, the wildlife, how superior it was, what his experience was like. And in this particular episode, the side story, because the main story is Carla finding out that this, one of the officials at St. Cleet's College, or, or not college, like School for Wayward Girls, had started coming into cheers and she'd always vowed revenge on that person. Yeah. So that was the main story. But I want to say that it was in that episode that there was the secondary storyline of Cliff getting a letter from Lynette Cahill from the Orange Blossom Motel. And he started making up the story about how this was this person from with whom he'd had this like wild affair on his trip to Florida. And she was obviously writing to him, wanting him back to come back <laughs> to her. Right. And Norm and Sam get into the letter at some point and read it and find out that she's actually going to sue him for taking all of the extra stuff like out of the hotel room. (laughs) And it's just like a pathetic list of stuff. I mean, it's just, yeah. What you would imagine somebody just like, they're going to take whatever they can, you know, like the shower curtain rings and the shower curtains and the rods and the ashtrays and all, you know, anything else from the motel. And so the guys at the bar that are sometimes not so nice want to, 
hear of this letter because I think I don't remember if they were doubting it or what was going on at that point. But they're like, well, the letter's open. Let's see what's in it. You know, and Cliff is panicked. And then <laughs> Norm starts to read like, my dearest Cliff <laughs> and makes up the like the what was it like, I want you. I want you. And he goes on with this letter. But I think about you in the morning when I wake up and at night when I go to sleep, it just it keeps going. And then it's something about like, it's not how hot he is, but it was, it was some like steamy ending. And then he ended with like respectfully, Lynette Gale. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was just the funniest rendition of someone trying to improvise this like sexy letter to help Cliff out with the other guys at the bar. And it was a great <laughs> minor story in an episode that was not one of my favorites. You know, right. but I've I just I would watch it again just to see that because it's so great. Exactly. Even the 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 episodes that in in our opinion in our mind for whatever reason are weaker have those strong points have those mm-hmm. lines that you can look back on and and so it makes which is a fantastic thing but of course it makes it hard to really rank the episodes when you have those secondary plots of like yeah. what you know what happened here and everything so. But no, I, I just, I bring that up to illustrate our belief, I think, that there really is something to love in every single episode we've seen so far. There mm-hmm. really are. And and that is, I feel like, not the case with every show. Um, certainly the ones that I have seen or, or whatever. Right. And so I think there's I think there's something to be said there. And, oh, okay, I want to talk about Emmy Awards. Can I do a, yes, a nerdy deep dive into oh, the absolutely. Emmy Awards? Yeah. <laughs> I think we've talked about our... Um, our interest in the Emmy Awards, uh, yes. particularly in the past, you know, pre probably 2000s or so, just in terms of, I just remember watching it, you know, as a kid and, and being so enamored with, with everything, the glitz and the glamour and, and everything about it. Um, oh, so, I used to record them in case I needed to watch something again. Yes, you know, and, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did that on more than one occasion oh, as yeah. well. I sure did. So disclaimer, this may not be the official count because... <laughs> because I'm a true nerd, I have a book about the Emmy Awards, and yeah. it basically runs through from the 50s, whenever they basically started, all through the publication date, which was like 1999, I think, the Emmy Awards for that year. But these are more centered on performing and, and, and writing and directing, so this may not be an all-inclusive count. But I went through the Emmy Awards book about um, the first five years of Cheers and how many okay. Emmys they won, because, you know, they won a lot of Emmys throughout their run. And by my count, and again, this is probably a little bit short, I'm certain it is, but in terms of what I could count, there were 10 Emmy Awards for the first five years. So Cheers won for Best Comedy Series twice. 1983, which was their season one, Mm -hmm. and their season two. And what's so incredible to me is that it won for its season one when it was one of the lowest rated TV shows that season. I mean, the week it debuted, it was dead last in the ratings. 77th out of 77. I mean, it really was the the bottom of the barrel and then it won for season two and what i was reading was how the critical the critical claim and and everything really helped cement it before it even got the viewers so Mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting uh shelly long did win for her role for season one 1983 for her episode whatever episode she nominated herself for in season one Rhea Perlman is the real star here she won stand out yes she won three consecutive emmys 
uh, 84, 85, 86, so seasons two through four, okay. she won for Outstanding Supporting Actress. Uh, the show won for Outstanding Writing for 83 and 84, so the first two seasons. Outstanding... Do you know which episodes? That I did I did not look to I'm see what episodes it was. Okay. In the book, it divided it by who was the writer for that, and I know Glenn mm-hmm. and Les Charles were for one of them. Okay. Um, you can find that out. I know it can be found out by doing a little bit of research online but i didn't have that um and then outstanding directing which i'm pretty sure was for james burroughs <laughs> i would imagine odds are great for 1983 season one a season one episode yeah. and then john cleese won for outstanding guest performer mm-hmm. in um 1987 which was season five so right. again not an all-inclusive list but as it pertains to the biggest the televised categories let's say those were those were it I like that they won so early on and that the network, and I guess it was Brandon Tartikoff that ran NBC at that time, Uh or at least the entertainment division. I could be wrong on the category. I knew he had something to do with like keeping it on the air. He did. And actually, not to dominate, but if I may, that leads almost perfectly into my next uh, next perspective kind of category. He was mentioned a lot in the book I told you about. So I just read the memoir that was released in June of 2022 by James Burroughs, entitled Mm -hmm. Directed by James Burroughs. And in that memoir, he recounts his experiences as a director at the top of his field. So he directed a number of episodes for Taxi, obviously the vast majority of episodes for Cheers, mm-hmm. uh, later shows such as Friends, Will and Grace. So basically this is a memoir by him about his, his career and his experiences with actors. And I was telling you about this book and it just came out and I put it on hold at my local library. And I read the chapters pertaining to Cheers. I have not mm-hmm. read the whole thing. I will confess to that. But I read, he had two long chapters devoted to Cheers. Basically, Shelley Long era, Kirstie Alley era. Okay, interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah um, that's going to be fun. There were a number of things there. Do you want me to get into some trivia with you? Now, let me ask you first. Did you read yeah. both of the chapters or did you stick with the Shelley Long era since we've only done that so far? I read both chapters. Okay. So you I must. W- there really wasn't a lot of spoilers given in terms of what I didn't already know. Obviously, yeah. I mean, there's Shelley yeah. Long left. We have a new actor coming in. So it. it I, I read into some of that knowing that, okay, there might be the potential for some spoilers. I didn't learn anything I didn't already know. Okay. Um, in terms of the characters. So, so with the, what was the Brandon Tartikoff part? Is that part of the trivia? Yes. So okay. uh, James Bros talks about how he was, I think at the time, the president of NBC, or at least affiliated in some way. I, the timeline mm-hmm. was, was messy for me, but he was an early champion of the show. And he actually made a cameo appearance in Shears, mm-hmm. I think the last season, so a, ahead of what we're doing now. But he, James right. Burroughs was very complimentary of him um, in terms of how he was such a champion for the show and was one of the reasons why the show did not get axed after its first year, was that this guy was a cheerleader for the show, saw a lot of potential in the show, and tried to convince the, you know, the powers that be that this show had some, some staying power. That's great. That was basically it. But that name came up in the book a couple mm-hmm. different times. And, and one of the things was that he does have a cameo again. I think it's season 11. So I don't I know any more yeah. than that. So I don't know how many of these things you know, but I kind of thought, I, I don't know. I kind of thought I would 
kind of try to set these up in a sort of a rough game format for you if you wanted, if, okay. you're, if you're willing for it. Sure, go for it. All right, and this is very much on the ball, so I'm kind of winging it as I go. I'm sure there were a couple different names that come to mind, but there was one actor that James Burroughs talked about that they, they sought hard for the role of Fraser Crane. They, they had this actor in mind, and they thought, okay, we're going to go for him, and they, they approached him, they offered him the role. I've heard this before, I'm sure. How many guesses do I get? You go. I don't know. You can have three guesses if you'd like. Is it John Lithgow? It is John Lithgow. It that is just indeed. came flashed yeah. into my head. Okay. Yeah. Well, and like I said, there may be more. I just, these all came verbatim from Burroughs' okay. memoir. Yeah, so I kind of, I kind of consider it, that a pretty. It must be, that's, you know, I, I've heard it somewhere. Yeah. I feel like he's a pretty authoritative source, so I'm going with what he says on this because he. Oh was, sure, you know, I mean he, he would have been there. there when that was cast. Yeah, because yeah. there's like Wikipedia and there's IMDb, and I'm like, eh, you know, who 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 volunteered that? But this came from from the man yeah. himself. So John Lithgow was originally okay. sought for the role of, of Fraser Crane. He declined it. He was not interested in a TV role at the time. Okay. Um, and again, this was not. Now, this was a few years before he took on Third Rock from the Sun. So it was, you know, it was one of those things that eventually he changed his mind did, on, right. yeah. on TV. But yes, John Lithgow was originally targeted for the role of Fraser Crane. Do you know whose idea it was to greet Norm with a resounding Norm every time he entered the bar? There was an actor on the show whose idea that was to do. I don't know. I could guess, but I'd be purely guessing. It was Nicholas Colasanto. Ah, yeah. according to the Very book, good. it was the, his idea was to, you know, have some sort of trademark scream mm-hmm. or whatever when every right. time Norm entered the bar. And that was that was Nicholas Colasanto, who, of course, played coach. So, yes. Yeah. And then also piggybacking on that, there was a prominent comedian media figure i don't know much about this man but i thought it was very interesting he actually auditioned for the role of coach a big name in the early early founding days of television like 1940s 1950s oh really i think he hosted a comedy hour i should have prepared better i'm sorry i know i mean everyone will know the name most people will know the name about if they're interested at all in the history of television and comedy that auditioned for it yes I think I have heard this, but I can't think of who it is. Sid Caesar. Okay. That rings a very faint bell. And like I said, I don't really know much too. about the man. I really don't. That would have been. He was a comedian, wasn't he? A big mm-hmm. comedian. Yep. He had like the Sid Caesar hour. I mean, early days of television when there were like three networks. Oh, very. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very early days. To, yeah. He had like a comedy variety-ish thing. I mean, I didn't see it, but, but yeah. Yeah. So that's all I know about that. But I thought that was very interesting. You know, I always enjoy those, you know, who could have been portraying right, somebody if, right, right. if not. Yeah. Huh. That's okay. interesting. Do you know the story behind how John Ratzenberger got the role of Cliff? I know the the general story, I think. He was auditioning for the role of Norm and didn't get yes. it. And he kind of came, did a turnaround at the end and asked if they had a, like a bar know-it-all. Yeah, exactly. And yep. so they decided, and I guess he must have done some, he had done improv work before that, from what I vaguely, very vaguely recall. And he must have like done something to impress them that he could be that character. So they he created Cliff, who wasn't yep. supposed to be a character. That's exactly, yeah. In James Burroughs' book, he says, uh, he recalls John Ratzenberger asking the creators, do you have a blowhard? Okay, (laughs) which you know is like a know-it-all basically and that was pretty much the genesis of how 
they developed the character and got him for the park, which I, I think is just a spectacular story because it's just, I don't know, it just seems so pure in how we, we come to see Cliff. Just oh, yeah. Exactly and the, how it went down. But it leads me to wonder some of the things that he says. Like, are they improvisations or, or was it all scripted? Because I think sometimes they did write a you know, sometimes i guess they probably did write all of it and then sometimes they maybe wrote a beginning or wherever he was to go off and I actually to add something in here just because it happens to be right here in my notes i'm reminded of one of my favorite season one <laughs> lift moments that i talked about a lot at that time when he's saying that if you go back this is cliff if you go back in history and you take every president you'll find that the numerical value of each letter in the last name was equal to equally divisible into the year in which they were elected and so people are asking like who is it going to be is it going to be reagan reelected or mondale or somebody else and cliff says by my calculations our next president has to be named yelnick mcguawa and there's <laughs> it's just the fact that he came to that you know supposedly mathematically but i always wondered if that was one of the things that john ratzenberger improvised or you know how that all went so right anyway it's fascinating it really is it is um all right what else you have you might have heard this one because i have seen this one a few times um what famous comedian was courted to play the role of diane's mother lucille ball that is correct. And I actually, there was some insight into this in, again, James Burroughs' memoir directed by James Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Out now in hardback. Um, it I'll was be reading later this evening. <laughs> yes. Um, they actually met out. with her. They, they met with her in person at her home. Ooh. They presented the role. I mean, this wasn't just some idea of, oh, let's see if we could get her and then nothing came of it. They met mm-hmm. with her. She ultimately turned them down. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that would have been, that would have been something. I really think that would have been incredible. I think it would have been incredible. I really like Glennis Johns who ended up playing that character. She did a fantastic job, but I could see Lucille Ball doing that too. Well, Lucille Ball is just like a whole nother level, right? Oh yeah. It's like up here. I mean, oh yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. There's not really any way to phrase this as a question, but this was something that was in the book and I just thought was super interesting. Are you at all familiar with the author Kurt Vonnegut? Yes. I have not read anything that he has written, but I think that I may know what you're going to say because there was a (laughs) quote that he had, something he said about Cheers. And I think it was in the later years, but I remember it in some entertainment magazine that I subscribed to, like when they would have like the famous people quoting or whatever. I vaguely remember, I think it was like sometime in the early 90s, he said... Yeah, I think you're going to say, but this is pretty much it. Basically, he said in an interview, I would rather have written an episode of Cheers than anything I've written. Yeah, which I thoroughly enjoy that because I have read a number of Vonnegut books. I enjoy him. He was born in Indianapolis and, and lived here a majority of his life. So there's kind of that that local connection. Yeah, I just thought that was a fun, a fun little. I love that. He was such a fan of that show. Yeah. And to say that he would have rather written Cheers than anything that he's written is yeah. it's such a high accolade because it's like, it's also commenting on the quality, like the literary quality and the quality of the writing. It is. So I, love I mean, that. he wrote he wrote Slaughterhouse Five. I mean, this is this guy's written classics, so that's yeah. that's a pretty high honor to pay to something like that. So yeah. he was clearly a fan of that. Um, that was essentially all I had from the memoir. I was trying to pull out things that I thought, okay, maybe weren't exactly common knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. so those are good. That's what those I had really to interesting. Share. I was thinking about notes that I read from season one. Not that we have to go in any sort of, you know, like linear order discussing things, but 
seems like season one, just in going back and thinking about it, because it's been a while since I've seen any of those episodes, it seemed like it was all about like the people that came into the bar. So they weren't necessarily guest characters, but they were just people that would drop in to cheers. And so a story would revolve around them. And it was about the care, like, you know, the cast was forming and so forth. But it did seem like season one was, you know, a lot more about these people that would come in that either knew one of the characters or they were just a visitor to Cheers. So it was sort of a different structure, maybe, or just enjoyable in a different way, I guess, mm-hmm. at that point. You know, I mean, they had, gosh, there's so many. They had, um, I think of like the, the symbol player. That was just in the teaser, but Misha, the symbol player that would take he had like a rest break, a long rest break in his symphony performances. And he would come to cheers and like count out the rest break while he had a beer and go back to play. People like that. Or the, um, this was another small part, but there was the tour guide that would take his tours through the bars of Boston and tell them that they were historical landmarks. And so he came into cheers and said it was Paul Revere's home and (laughs) all of that, you know, um, that was fun. You had the guy that was going off to a monastery that came in before he was to go to the monastery. It just seemed like there were a lot of things of just, you know, like what could walk through the door with a story. You're that's a that's a great point. Yeah, I mean the spy who came in for a cold one. I mean, that, yes, they they, they yep. centered these episodes around these characters that came in, and then in that same episode you mentioned the young guy about to join the monastery. You had a World War One veteran, veteran that came in, mm-hmm. and nobody else from his battalion showed up. And it right. was you know even the episodes that may not stand out as like the exceptional best episodes have those moments. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, it kind of like that they, they bring in a character and they form a character around that. I enjoy that part of it, you know. Yeah. And that's one thing that I feel like I feel is the case for a lot of first seasons of shows. They're finding their legs. They're figuring out what they want to do. And I think there's a lot to admire in those first seasons. You know, mm-hmm. it's not to say that they bat them all out of the park, but they're authentic. They're trying yeah. to figure out what is going to happen. They're willing to take risks and I think that Cheers definitely did that in their first season, too. Yeah. Yeah, I do, too. And there were a lot of characters, in addition, like, characters that just kind of came in, characters that recurred, like Harry the Hat. We haven't seen him in a little while. Mm-hmm. But he was kind of a fun one, the con man, sort of, you know, like, lovable. Like, he really did cheat them out of money, but he also thought of them as, what was he say? Like, he didn't like anybody else plucking his pigeons like his to take advantage of (laughs) things like that so these little supplementary characters we've talked a lot recently about corinne even though she's not in that many episodes but she's still just so enjoyable that she seems like she's part of it too you know yeah um and then of course andy 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 schroeder was in diane's nightmare Mm -hmm. we haven't seen him since then but he was in um the two previous episodes the you started what was it diane's perfect date in season one and then mm-hmm. Diane was the uh, homicidal ham homicidal ham and season all of those were really kind of standout episodes in their respective seasons i think yeah definitely. and he is funny but it was also just the reactions to him that were so good yeah yeah great so, character mm-hmm. yeah I want to go back to the to the pilot, and I, I guess okay. I, I guess we can kind of walk our way through the fir- through the five seasons, you know, kind of broadly. But and I don't want to beat a dead horse on this, but I, I mean, the pilot is exceptional. The pilot mm-hmm. is like they are firing on all cylinders, and that was something James Burroughs talked about in his book and and on some subsequent television interviews that you know there are 
writers today who study how to write a pilot based on that pilot episode. I could see that. I mean, it, they, they introduce the characters that pretty consistently with how they're going to be portrayed for the next five years or more. Mm-hmm. They, it just seems like they really, they hit the ground running. And that is not always the case. That is not often the case with pilot episodes, in my opinion, based yeah. on what I've seen. And so, you know, I think that they, they really did that. And that was not just a great pilot episode. That was a great season one episode. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It really was like from all the characters, the way they introduced them there, there was a, you know, a little bit of maybe on the noseness about having each character come in, but how else are you going to do that? You know, like each mm-hmm. person that worked there came in one person at a time. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know how else you would get to that point. And they had really good, I wouldn't say dark humor at that time, but just the pointed humor. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was some, there's some comment about what was it like Diane, Diane being left at the bar with a bartender or something when Sumner was going back to do whatever with his, you know, supposed ex-wife. It, but it was some comment about bartenders, and Sam's like, I know what you mean. Once trying to move into my neighborhood, and it was just like little quick comments that mm-hmm. have a lot of weight, but there's a lot of comedy as well, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Sumner was quoting. John Donne, and, <laughs> and he tells him like that was done, and Sam's like, "Well, I certainly hope so." Yeah, it's just a like, yes. good wit, good Great witty line. retort. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I think, like in terms of Sam, that continues for a while. I don't know if I if we see as much of that in the like the later you know last couple seasons, but I think in those first three, he had a lot of witty retorts to people that were more academically intelligent, but perhaps not as clever as he is. You know? Yeah. I know I I love the pilot episode. That's actually one. I, I don't I don't want to say I don't know if I can say that that's my favorite from season one, but that is my standout one just because mm-hmm. it sets everything going. It's such a great episode, and I I wanted to talk too. I think you, it around. was your favorite from season one when we did this. It probably was. Year. I mean, <laughs> I, like I my think there's maybe, yeah. everything in there. Yeah, there is everything that you need in that one episode. You get a feel for what's to come. Mm-hmm. The characters. I mean. And and again, you know, usually there's something in the pilot that they change by episode two or three, right? Not so with that episode. It just it's like it was written directly, knowing, hey, we're starting this series off. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it was written, but it plays that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do like, and this is something that I can kind of. I, I feel like now that we have a little bit of perspective maybe a little bit of distance from from the five years you know i do like that they set up diane as this pseudo if you will intellectual academic type right she's kind of snotty she's but she's smart i mean she's obviously smart and and beyond smart she is very interested in like intellectual pursuits and creative pursuits and all this sort of stuff. And then you have the majority of the other characters who are a bit more, shall we say down to earth, a little bit more practical, uh, you know, in in all the good ways, but you have that constant tension and dynamic between the two. And I think that they set it up perfectly here and they carry it through the, the seasons pretty well. And so I like that mm-hmm. they chose to present her that way as this. Here's this this teacher's assistant, academic right. wannabe, intellectual wannabe, whatever, and she's a barmaid. And but but there's still that tension with, you know, the bartenders and the staff and the customers there and and how they relate. I just think it's such a fun setup that they that they decided to do that. 
Oh, it really is. It really yeah. is. And she aspires to these different things over the years, you know, but she's still the a waitress and keeps going back yeah. to being a waitress. And it really sets up, like in one fell swoop across the years, sets up perfectly her departure at the end of season five. Not that that's what they were in any way going toward as they were writing all of this, but it just works, you know. It does, yeah. I think. And I think, I think about it, you know, because we talked a little bit in season five little critically about how Diane at the beginning of the show, like in seasons one and then, you know, two, she's a little, she's with Sam. That's kind of the gist of that season. I mean, we'll sure we'll say more about it, but that's just the sort of the foundation of it. And then season three, she starts this relationship with Frazier. So there's still the intellectual and artistic component. And she always has, you know, she always has that going throughout. But in season five, she's, after a point, like more, really from the beginning, and then certainly like after she and Sam are engaged, like it's all about this marriage, and you hear more mm-hmm. about that, and a little bit about the pursuit of loftier things, like when she wants to go to Tibet for their honeymoon and things like that. But it's not quite the way that it was. Her interest isn't the same as it was in the first few seasons, you know. And she's like yeah. looking at China patterns and has Sam picking out a duvet cover, like all of this stuff that just doesn't seem congruent with her interests earlier on, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I think then having her leave for this literary pursuit does tie back into that and really brings that full circle that that's kind of who she is and what she would aspire to do. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like from the pilot to I do a do, you have a full circle. Mm -hmm. You have a full circle. And it's kind of interesting to think, okay, if they had ended the series there, obviously we're glad they did not. But if they had, what would that have looked like? And right. I feel like it would have been a complete circle. I mean, you, you had the dynamic carry all the way throughout yeah. for her, for her. But I mean, in terms of, you know, like Sam, you know, he's the owner of the bar. He says hello to her. He says goodbye to her. I mean, there is some right. sort of full circle here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I always think those are interesting to consider. Not saying it should have been. Obviously, it should not have been. And it was a wonderful thing it was not. But <laughs> no, I, just I in terms of wrapping that series up, I mean, because sometimes you have characters leave and, and it's unresolved and they don't know how to write it, which is often the case. And they did know how to write it. They were on, yes. they, they honored the characters and they did it and they followed through with it. Mm-hmm. And it came to a close. And then they were able to open a new chapter up and go from there. Right. Yeah. No, I think so, too. I think the pilot, when you're talking about it, it's it kind of sets up it sets up Diane's dynamic with Sam, of course, and then as I recall, like a little bit with Carla. But then I also like the way that it starts Diane's rapport with Norm, and we talked about that a little bit in some of our later episodes in season five when they have more discussions together. I think in like dance, dance, dance when they're talking like Norm's like talking about not having a dream and dreams all cause you heartache, you know, and Diane's mm-hmm. talking about following your dream. And then in Norm's last hurrah, of which I'm particularly fond, when they have the conversation about Norm being perfectly happy, being a bench warmer and so forth. And then there was one, is it I'll Gladly Pay You Tuesday? It's Diane's at the bookstore. And she mentions, a, it's called like a Farthing for Your Thoughts bookstore. <laughs> and she's just asking if Norm has been there. And he says, like, he's dallied there betimes or something like that. And she's like, oh, you know. But he's just kind of playing. Like, they just have a rapport by that point. Yeah, but there are yeah. little hints of that in the pilot. Like, not that Diane, not that either of them would expect that. But like, there's Diane sitting at the end of the bar trying to just you know be by herself and norm i remember like racks his beer on the brass railing he's like hey what you reading a book yeah (laughs) yes and then when he finds out she's engaged when she's like walking back from Mm -hmm. the restroom and he like claps her on the back you Uh know like you clap a good buddy on the back basically so little things like that i really i like the way that that developed over the years as well they have just such a 
interesting rapport the two of them don't they mm-hmm. you know, like, i think so definitely. i think very much so yeah i guess let's jump ahead to season two see if there was anything worth noting for season two um the episode that i wrote down is probably my favorite from season two and i did rewatch it in preparation for this i i just thoroughly enjoyed i think it was the second or third episode of that season little sister don't you mm-hmm where we have Carla gone and we yeah. have Rhea Perlman playing her sister, Annette, who is, uh, how best to describe her, a little bit of a, a, a looser woman, let's tardy. say. <laughs> a, a, a little right. tardy of a woman. That's yeah. right. And I really enjoyed how they did that, how they portrayed her. Um, mm-hmm. it, that That's just such a fun episode. And then you have at the very end, you have that little moment between um cliff and norm where they're basically talking about their friendship yes and i like that. that and um you have coach's home movie when he goes to the hospital right. my personal favorite from that i, like I just that so much great stuff in that um and it's but, the line too oh go ahead no i was just gonna ask kind of like what you what were your standout moments thoughts from from the second season Oh, well, I was going to comment on that episode. There's the quote when Sam and Diane are arguing about Annette, and it's when Cliff, I think, has started to become interested in her. And Sam says, she can do whatever she wants with her sex life. It's in the Bill of Rights. And Diane asks, where's it in the Bill of Rights? And he says, the part about the right to assemble and bear arms. <laughs> Love a good Bill of Rights joke. That was really yes. was clever. Absolutely. Um, and then you... You know, mentioning that scene with Norman Cliff, that is, it's, it's a turn the episode takes that I really appreciate because it's like the other story, there's not anywhere else to go with it. We've already kind of seen all of Annette that we can. And I think that Rhea Perlman did a great job and seemed like she's having a lot of fun playing this kind of, you know, little twist on Carla, basically, a little variation mm-hmm. on her character. But um, that last scene, and it ends in humor, but it really is, well, and there's humor throughout because what is it Norm says that, Oh, Cliff says something about how the magic's gone out of Norm's relationship, like he's jealous mm-hmm. or whatever. And Norm makes a comment. It was like, more people have experienced Annette's magic than Doug Henning's. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I agree. So yeah. there's fun, there's, you know, a funniness throughout, but it is just that the good relationship scene that we have. So I really, I appreciate that. And then in season two, there are a couple of episodes with Sam and Norm. And I'm, trying to think what there's one that he's um what is it no help wanted isn't that in season two when i think so he hires him as his accountant yes yeah yeah he hires him as his accountant and then gets scared of the tax return that norm is gonna you know get for him and so he goes back to his other sort of more fiscally conservative accountant and they have that scene in the office and then the one when norm is like tempted to have the affair or the guys in the bar are kind of cajoling him into having an affair. Is that mm-hmm. season two? Maybe, but anyway, I he and Sam know. have that scene in the pool room. That's mm-hmm. really good as well. And Sam's telling him like, you're a different type of man than I am. And that one also ends in humor, but I like those sort of like the character relationship scenes that are really yeah. genuine like that. So in season two, otherwise, of course, I mean, homicidal ham is just the, the humor of that. And Diane's whole thing of, um, when she figures out what's going on and she's trying to stall in the scene, she's like, let's go back into a little bit of the 16th century or whatever it is. You know? mm-hmm. And then that professor, Professor DeWitt, that would 
<laughs> he said something about like they're talking about the play they're gonna do Othello and he's like challenging challenging and he doesn't understand that Diane's being strangled he's like it's a Desdemona that fights back and he's so excited <laughs> just those nerdy academic you know uh-huh. responses I really liked too I enjoy it watching it when I when I think back on season two though I it stands out to me more as like the season that Sam and Diane were together and then just kind of analyzed and argued continuously. And there's a lot of richness that happened as well, but that's what mm-hmm. stands out in my mind as kind of the overriding theme of the season. Well, that's completely fair because I think every season is kind of dominated by you know, are they on, are they off? I mean, and that kind of goes to our larger point that I think we can kind of bring up, you know, the whole Sam and Diane thing. Yeah, so season one, at the very end, they kiss, they get together. Season two, they're together. Um, Season three, they are apart. She Mm -hmm. did a stay at the funny farm. Sam went off the wagon. She comes back with Frasier, works at the bar. Yeah, and we have the introduction of Frasier Crane. Season four, they are, oh my God, they're, they're basically... They're not together. They're not. No together one's with anyone anymore. really in season no. four. Yeah, they're kind of apart, kind of spinning apart, and everything. Um, and then of but course, it's more season... amicable, I think. I mean, yeah, it's... they've reached yeah, one... a mm-hmm. new level of maturity, I think, too, which, in some ways, makes it a little bit more tolerable. That's maybe. what I think. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, there's, I don't know, there's just a little less drama. They have a little more yeah. fun with each other without it That's, turning into yeah. some sort of soul searching half hour. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Because <laughs> season four is my favorite season for that reason and other reasons. But of these first five, I think season four is my favorite. Interesting. Of them, yeah. Okay. And then, of course, season five, you have the the ill-fated proposal at the beginning. Then you have about 12 episodes where they're not together. Then you have the final when they are together, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. And, you know, we've, by that point, we have run the gamut of emotional responses in a relationship. You, I mean, where else can you go, really? I mean, right. they, and that's an interesting point because um, I've been looking at different things and, uh, you know, watching interviews and stuff about the end of, of Shelley Long's uh, time on the show, you know, and mm-hmm. where you would go from there. And I mean, really, where else could you go without truly pushing the bounds of credibility, which you already right. have? I mean, you've tested the audience in terms of their patience for stories. Yes. But I think any more and you really would have been in trouble you know i mean yeah because there's only so much you can go so so is the answer that they get married and then from there their marriage be i mean what do you do with that and um i want to hit on this and we can go back i know we're hopping around but um in i do a do they filmed Mm -hmm. two endings they filmed the one that we saw where they don't get married and then they filmed the one that where they do get married have you seen that one where they do get married i haven't i've heard that it is like out and about somewhere on the internet but i've not watched it i found it i found it it was Mm -hmm. actually well i don't know if it's the complete whatever but i found a retrospective um i'll direct it to you but it is buried in a clip thing on youtube where it's actually and you can tell it's like the raw footage because it's not great quality but they basically are legally pronounced man and wife and and the the reaction from there it doesn't go any farther than that but it was kind of fun but anyway it Mm -hmm. just kind of imagines you does the show become about their marriage does the show then become about them having kids what's her role i mean you get on this whole sort of you know what if scenarios on that 
it seems to me that if they had gone at that point, I don't think that there was a legitimate way to go on because they either, yeah, they have kids and then it's kind of the kids are in it and it's sort of a family ish show, which I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have found that appealing. No. Not that they couldn't write it well or whatever, but I just don't think that that's what that would be about. Or else the children are not in it. And it's like, but we know that they have these kids or this family, right. whatever. You, you can't know. please everybody. Right. Well, not even that. I just don't even think you could tell like a coherent story either way, really, with like and make it about those people in the bar. I mean, Carla has kids that are elsewhere. Yeah, like they're you know things like that. Norm's wife is somewhere else. We don't always see her, but I just don't think like having Sam and Diane go through all that and then, yeah, I don't think that there was a, a good way to go forward with it. I think to have that continue with her, it would have had to be something where they had a point like midway through season four when it just the relationship stayed at that level like they were not going to be together again and it was just kind of amicable and then it just kind of filtered out like oh this woman i used to date or whatever and so she's just a part of the bar Mm -hmm. and you know you either have other people come in or you don't and you make it just more of an ensemble type of thing not about that relationship but then you have to look and say like why is diane still there because she aspires to these other things and as you said she's a barmaid and I think you know the implication at least through the whole thing is that the main reason that she's staying there is because of Sam yeah so if that reason at least romantically like that part is taken out of it then there's no reason for her to be there anyway so to me like none of that would have gone forward in a good way no it really does seem like it was kind of a good thing that Shelly Long, her contract was up. She decided she was done. She didn't have any mm-hmm. intention of going beyond those five years, which is something I looked at some interviews and something that she has kind of consistently said that she, you know, she signed a five-year contract and she didn't really intend to go beyond that. She wanted yeah. to do other things and she did. And I think ultimately that's the best thing that they could have done for those characters. You know, not only, I, I mean, obviously we know what, you know, in terms of the show, shows lasting power, great ratings, it continues mm-hmm. on ever upward. But I think in terms of the characters, you have done everything you can do with them at that point without pushing it into, you know, ridiculous. Right. Because you'd have to have like just different kind of canned almost scenarios. Mm-hmm. I, I keep going back to, I hate to like take it into negative territory but i think it was probably my least favorite episode of season two when we did that the superlatives episode but um just the was it just three friends the one with diane's friend heather yeah (laughs) there are funny moments in it but like i really as as far as like not liking episodes go that would be at the top of my ones that i not at the top because we we know which one that (laughs) we do know involving a dog bite Right, right. That one I, I dislike. The just three friends I simply don't like, but I don't dislike it. <laughs> and there are parts of it that are that are fine and are funny or whatever. But it seems like it. But it's a little bit of a what would you say like a trope or not a trope? I don't know. Just it's this little sitcommy. And I think that they would have possibly been left doing things like that. Like what else is going to interfere with Sam and Diane? You know, like bringing one right. more of those things in for like another year or so. Um, and that's exactly what it would have pushed it into the absurd. I mean, I, I think it reached that point, but it, it towed the line these five yeah. years. It didn't truly, or maybe the better phrase would be jump the shark, really. I mean, it didn't truly jump the shark, in my opinion, into where it just gets ridiculous, you know? I think, though, that some of that is like, because I think if you went through and you read all of the, just a very basic episode description, focused 
on the goings-on between Sam and Diane, then it would seem kind of redundant. It'd be like, okay, more of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's just... Maybe it's just me, but, but but it's like seeing it and seeing like even some of the scenes that if I just read the descriptions of the scenes, I'm like, God, this is so tedious. Like some of the arguments in the office, for example, or the, you know, the back and forth. But it's the way it's written and the way that Ted Danson and Shelley Long portray it that gives it that spark that is mm-hmm. fun and unique. Like there are a few times when it's like, OK, we have seen this before. Oh, yeah. But they definitely. still like put the energy into it. But usually I would say it's still there's something creative about most of those things, even if on paper it kind of looks like just more of that same sort of relationship angst. No, so. I agree. I very much agree. I mean, yeah, it does dip into redundancy. It does. But their acting helps keep it from just becoming this total, oh, you know, we've seen this before. We're going to lose total interest. I mean, it does help. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, they were dangerously close to that point and or cross that point but not right. too far that they you know i don't think they were so far gone at that point but right. again another gear and i think they easily would have been i think it yeah. was the right call on her part not that that's all i'm sure that's not what went into it but just the way it worked it out i think it, it, it did well mm-hmm. it was time yeah, yeah absolutely i think it worked out the best for her for ever just you know for everybody and particularly for the story this brings up for me sort of a a difficult question though because i am wondering if something of the same or what of that what of the same thing could be said for coach and i hate Mm -hmm. to bring it up because obviously like the real man died it's not just like you went on to do another career or something like that you know Mm -hmm. but if you look at coach and then you look at woody like coach is a character that's pretty much fully formed by the time that we meet him in cheers he's his has you know he's had his most of his life like this is kind of the the twilight part <laughs> to a degree right, right. like he's kind of developed pretty much not that he's not going to have new experiences but he's a developed person and, and little things happen here and there but he essentially is who he is and so how much and i and i think too i think there is sometimes rare but sometimes when they sort of sacrificed a little bit of character to get a joke in there like the befuddled old man joke i think it was rare i think he usually had things that were varying character for him but like once in a while like okay you know you get the joke in a little bit at the character's expense Mm -hmm. I don't know how much longer they could have kept his role going as it was after three years or maybe like another year if he were had been you know Nicholas Colasanto had been healthy and so forth but I don't see 11 years of that character the same way that we see 11 years of like you know most of those original characters other than him right Whereas when Woody comes in, he's young, he's has a background that he can speak to, but he's essentially unformed in life. Like it's just starting for him, you know? Right. So he's somebody that you can not only just like see experiences, but like see little changes in him and so forth. So I, I mean, I hate to say that because I don't know that his, like it's not that his death, you know, made that work out well, but they did the best they could with what they had. And I think mm-hmm. it worked well. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, he was elderly and there was, it, it's hard to look back from like season one and think, oh, could could they have sustained him for 11 years? Right. Physically, character stories, whatever you have. And I'm, I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought of it that way because to me, yeah, you're right. Woody's a young guy. He's, he's unformed in many ways. And so his story carries us through, but in many ways, he's also, I've always thought clearly, you know, we, we lost coach. We're going to fill it with a younger version of coach in many ways, not completely, but in many ways. And I think that works because 
I don't know. I really, of course, love Coach, and I love the episodes yeah. he was in, and so I and I, I also really love Woody. But I think a large part of that is because they are very similar to one another in terms of just how they are. I don't know. I don't know how long you really realistically would have been able to have Coach in there without becoming some sort of caricature, you know, and, and the mm-hmm. befuddled, confused old man that sometimes he was, but there were many layers below that that you got to explore. Right. And, and I I love that they did what they did with him in the time that they had him, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I rewatched some scenes from Coach's daughter in season one. Yeah, mm, that episode, the scenes with her and her uh, with his daughter and him are great. They're just great. Yeah. I mean, you see just the, the, this pathos behind him that I would argue we really haven't seen a lot of in Woody to this point. I mean, Woody has kind of filled a role, but we haven't. I feel like there's so much more we can dive into him with. You know, well, I think too that I do think they're similar in that they've, you know, they have this sort of childlike naivete about life in a way, you know, in the befuddlement. But although it's a more like a literalness most of the time, like with Coach, the ways that he responds to some things. Like there was the line I mentioned this somewhat recently. I think when we were discussing I do I do with his with Woody's response to Sumner being similar to how Coach responded to Sumner in Sumner's return in season two when he said something about. I heard at dinner that Diane was working here as a waitress. Is that true? And coach says, like, I don't know. I wasn't at the dinner. It's like just those sorts of things that are that are funny, but it's because he's answering the question he was asked. Exactly. Rather than interpreting yeah. what mm-hmm. that should mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think that some of that coach is an older man that's been through an entire life and he still has that sort of it's kind of like some wisdom mixed with a little bit of that childlike innocence of the world whereas Woody is younger and has that so it's not I don't want to say it's not as earned but it's like you don't quite know how he would be when he's coach's age and how he's going to develop you know right right so I think that's interesting but I also don't think that he I mean I don't know I don't know if they are just because it's their different people or how that would be like would Woody at coach's age have that same response if he were in that situation with his daughter you don't know I mean Woody seems like a kind person but he doesn't have that kind of wisdom to impart to somebody at the same time. Right. Right. I mean, he's just, he's not as old. He's not as far along in life. And it's almost like they, they kind of had a chance to reset the coach character in the form of Woody. I don't know. That's at least how I, I choose to think of it, but God, I love coach. I just love coach. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, I, I, I watched one of the extras on, on season one, I think it was, and just thinking back on some of the great lines and the moments. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's that literal literalness. He's just taking it as it comes and answers as honestly as he knows how, which is to answer the words he hears actual, without context mm-hmm. or, or inference or anything. And it's just, he's just so much fun. And I, I'm glad that I, you know, of course, I kind of wish he'd been around for longer, but I'm glad that we at least got almost three solid years with him because right. I feel like we got a good taste of that character and, and got to see a lot with him. I do, too. And I think even the you know when they were making the excuses for why he wasn't there in the bar and they would have Sam tell some story, I thought that was well done, too. Like, that was in character. Like, you could imagine Coach... You know, like he went out of state or wherever he went to get his driver's license or the one where his sister was picking him up at the airport, but it wasn't the airport where she lived. It was the Boston airport when mm-hmm. they drove to where she lived and the whole, like all of that. Yeah. <laughs> There's several others. I thought that those were really good and told something about him, even though he wasn't there. Definitely. Um, there is one, I had a note about something that came up in season one in the episode, the, when Di- the one with Diane's mother, when she comes, mm-hmm. when Diane's mother comes in and says that 
if Diane is not married the next day, that she's going to lose all her money, essentially. And so, you know, the whole thing is that Sam agrees to marry Diane um, just just for this, you know, occasion or whatever. Yeah. And Coach volunteers to be the best man. He says that he knew um, the day that Diane walked in that she and Sam would get together. And then I think Sam says, like, Coach, this is just temporary. And Coach says, I knew that, too. Like. <laughs> Which is just kind of funny, and it's like specific, specifically used in that instance, but it kind of carries across the five years if you mm-hmm. really think about it, I think, mm-hmm. too, maybe. Although he also had said that he imagined, what was it, like Sam and Diane being married, and that the whole thing about the house and how he would be over there for dinner or whatever, so <laughs> it's hard yeah. to say. But yeah, there's like the mm-hmm. little, little bits of wisdom that come out of him that were great. Oh. I like the way... Oh, go ahead. No, I, last thing I'll say on that wisdom was from um, season two of, oh my God, episode two of season one, Sam's Women, I think it's titled, where he ha- we have that guy who comes in looking for a former bartender who's now yes. passed away, and he wants the advice on how to basically handle his son's engagement to another guy basically mm-hmm. rick and ron and everything and and you see coach just like trying to work it out in his head and he's like wait a minute wait a minute and everyone's <laughs> offering it this encouragement and everything yeah. and he comes through with unwitting great advice basically just by listening and I, I i rewatched that and i just thought that was an extremely charming bit with him it is yeah it wisdom is. even when he doesn't mean to be wise it's just right it's just, it's he coming, can't yeah. contain it you know yeah yeah that's good I like, oh, I was going to say, I like the way that they transitioned between Coach and Woody. Like, Woody's entrance to me was so well done. That had to be a difficult thing to introduce, you know, a new character to replace Coach. But just that exuberance, that youthful exuberance when he's looking at the bar and talking about, like, the high-grade Naugahyde seats, and he's just bubbling over with enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And then he's genuinely upset when he hears that coach had died you know so it is right. almost like you're seeing this kindred spirit that's come to meet him and ends up taking his place so mm-hmm. i thought they did a good job with that yeah with that segue between the two definitely yeah and then woody has i think overall i've i mean we'll have to analyze this in the end overall i find him funnier because i think some of his humor is more surprising whereas coaches is a little bit warmer and more comforting mm. that's yeah. fair i can see that yeah i can see that point is there anything we wanted to bring up specifically about season three episodes or anything worth noting there? Season three, I always feel relieved getting to that after season two. And it's mainly because I don't really care for the end of season two with the Philip Zeminko and the painting, just all the drama <laughs> of it. Yeah, yeah. And that we're just getting out of that. But it's, it's also, it's... It's kind of, again, like if you think about it, it's very dramatic and a little difficult to take because Sam is drinking again and, you know, Diane's not there, the whole thing. But there's just so much humor, I think, that comes from the secondary characters, like Norm. And what was it, like, the thing about, isn't there a point in the premiere, it's one of the first two episodes of the premiere, the rebound episodes, when... (laughs) Norm tells Sam, he's like, maybe you have been drinking a little bit too much and... Sam says something about like so. Well, so are you, and he's like, I already have a mom lush face. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just, gets like, very defensive. Uh-huh. Yeah. So even <laughs> like then, that. they're like just really funny parts. Yeah, definitely. I think Fraser coming in was. I think. I mean, obviously, he's a good addition, and the way he changes, even in these like early years, I think it's very interesting. I don't know. I enjoy 
I enjoy season three overall. There are particular episodes that I really like. I like, I, I, I don't know, I like that they shook up the dynamic and had so they could tell other types of stories, I suppose. Yeah. I definitely Besides think just it, Sam it and helps. Diane. Yeah, it kind of helped refresh it, bringing in another another regular to the mix, added mm-hmm. some new storytelling opportunities and everything. And and then you have a little bit of the triangle that forms with Sam and Diane and Frasier, which I think there are parts of that that really work pretty well, um, mm-hmm. kind of give it a fresh spin. I think it kind of wears thin before too long, but it injected a little bit of new it did. It. it did. And it kind of gave Diane, it was almost like one more chance to test out like that. She's like, oh, I'm really this type of person, not this barmaid type of person. I might right. be working in a bar, but I'm with this man that is this psychiatrist and scholar. So I'm not really of these people. And that is kind of the last time that she can hold on to that, in my opinion. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Frazier really came into his own in, what was it, The Heart is a Lonely Snipe Hunter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's some great lines in that. Yes. He calls it this intoxicating sport. Just the way he took that, that entire episode on, I thought was really good. It's a great um, one. I kind of made note, it was interesting seeing like just the little things that were going on in Norm's life throughout these five years, just as a supplementary character. And in season three, that's when Norm and Vera were trying to have a child. <laughs> so there's a lot about like people asking if he's been successful yet in impregnating Vera, you know, and yeah. he doesn't really want to talk about that too much. And then he dreams of moving to the South Pacific to Bora Bora after a health scare. That was in season three for him. Mm-hmm. And then I believe the executive's executioner is toward the end of the season, isn't it? That was one you particularly enjoyed. He's out of a job again. Yes. You know, at the end of that. So it's like I did. he's every, basically every season he's losing a job yeah. for some, you know, some reason or other. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of, I sort of drew out his trajectory a little bit through that season if we go back to Diane and Frasier in season three, they sort of start in, the, again, like this very lovey-dovey manner. And she's so admiring of him. And then it descends into, like, I think that she's kind of annoyed that he's going off to all these seminars. And then he gets a little bit suspicious that she's still so immersed in Cheers and in Sam's mm-hmm. doings and so forth. Mm-hmm. And those are my initial thoughts. What do you think? No, I I, I agree with all of that, really. Um, like mm. I said earlier, I think it does kind of inject a new something, a new energy into some of that. Um, the storylines with her, or Frasier, Sam, and all that. The Executive's Executioner, one of my favorite episodes from that season. Probably my favorite, actually. Um, rewatch that one again. And mm-hmm. I, I guess what I think of when I think of that one is when some people say, well, season six onward made the show more of an ensemble piece. I think, well isn't aren't there plenty of examples from the first five seasons where it was an ensemble you know i mean i get where you're saying you don't focus on the sam and diane relationship as much great fine and and ensemble yeah. but they've they've done that it's not like we haven't been given that we have we've had carla episodes we've had cliff episodes we've had norm episodes mm-hmm. so we have had opportunities to explore the ensemble before season six so right that that seemed a little bit like well laying the groundwork i don't know for it but um anyway that's one i've always really really enjoyed just you know norm Mm -hmm. of course my one of my favorite characters so that was the season as well when coach purchased the billiard buddy pool table pool table adapter Mm. in um was it king of the hill they put up the ping pong table in the back and sam and diane have that scene which i really think is a good scene they're talking and then playing ping pong. I like, again, like I like the relationship on that level. 
So there's a little bit of sparring, there's attraction, but it's not just all about analyzing. I mean, it is, but it's not... Not in your face. It works battle. better when they're not together. <laughs> like, I agree. I don't yeah. know. But to the point of the purchase, that's at least the third, because there was a scale in season two, and then there was some sort of cocktail napkin, I think, in season one, in this list of things that Coach has purchased for the bar that Sam does not want. Mm-hmm. So that I thought that was a fun theme, little you know, little thing going mm-hmm. through. Absolutely. Uh, season four. Anything mm-hmm. stand out? Any observations about season four as a whole? Well, as I mentioned, that's my that's my favorite. It's kind of made, like become and maintained itself as my favorite the first five years. I really like again like the way Woody's introduced. I think there's a lot of fresh humor around that around his character. Mm-hmm. I like that Fraser has become a part of the bar aside from just coming in with Diane. We saw a little bit of that to go back to season three. We did see a little bit of that where Fraser would come in to talk to Sam, but he was still very much attached to Diane. Right. But he's becoming more a part of it. Like, he's still showing up, and he's becoming a little bit one of the gang, I think, in season four, which I like. I think Carla, they sort of, I think they got the Carla and Cliff dynamic sort of solidified. Like, her just (laughs) razor-sharp cut-downs of him Mm -hmm. by season four were pretty much firmly in place. I mean, they started for sure earlier, but that's kind of become a thing that maintains the rest of the show. And I think season four is kind of where that pretty much hit. Like I've said, I you know we've talked about this a bit. I like the dynamic between Sam and Diane that they're you know they have this some maybe we could call it a little bit of wisdom. <laughs> I'd be a bit too generous about their past and their relationship, and it's just they're on friendlier terms for the beginning of the season, you know. And there's still, of course, like the episodes that deal with their attraction and whatnot, but it's just not at the center of things. So even more so than season three, it can be about other stuff. I mean, they go back to it and that's to be expected, Mm -hmm. but they have like other content to the episodes. I want to say anything about Carla, because I think at the beginning, the way she was introduced in the pilot and then several of the early episodes, she seems more like a down on her luck sort of character. She's a little more emotive, a little more vulnerable. And I think that they sort of, which was fine. Like, I don't think she was necessarily undeveloped, but I think that they really kind of got to where she is in maybe season four as well, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, she's definitely less vulnerable, a little bit more, I don't know if closed off is the right term. But I think, like, Carla, as we will continue to know her, kind of came in, comes into play in season four. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense about the, like, the open? Like, because she comes in and she's like, oh, I have this going on, I have that going on. Yeah. Like, she complains later on. Like, she mentions the same things. It's just not... And as emotional a way, like a poor me way. I don't know how to describe it. I can see that, though. I can see that the, yeah. the shift with that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, it's more like just like, oh, this is how my life is. And sometimes she thinks it's terrible. Sometimes she doesn't. Whereas earlier on, I think it was more like she's experiencing it openly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, one thing that we haven't talked about is Cliff. And we've talked about this on the in some of the episodes but it seems like earlier on, he was, you know, this guy that knew all this trivia and had like sometimes funny things to say about it or would pop in a bit of knowledge or whatever <laughs> here and there. And occasionally would get some pushback from other characters or like there was the episode, what is the one with the bully in the bar? And Cliff gets the guy from the post office, Lewis. Oh, remember that one? Yes. I can't the guy's remember upset, the title. Like, but... that, that Cliff won't shut up. Yeah. Um, I don't know the name so of that episode, but I do remember that. that when you're talking yeah. about it. Yeah. There's some of that, but then you also had episodes like, what was it, like Fairy Tales Can Come True? Mm-hmm. That are a little, I mean, there's still a little bit like on Cliff is kind of an odd guy, but he wasn't 
made out to be like the buffoon and the butt of jokes the way that he starts to be, I think, in maybe season three, but definitely by season four. Yeah. And season four is when he starts coming in with like the vegetables that are, you know, shaped or look like famous personages from history and so forth. Like the potato that looked like Richard Nixon. Yes. Norm had hilarious things to say about that. So I don't I don't know. I don't know that that's I don't think that's this like good development. He's the one I always say, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I love the way that he changed. Mm-hmm. I think Norm, Norm has, you know, he has, I guess you could look back and say he's had a philosophy of life the whole time. But I think that that kind of comes into play more in those last couple of seasons. And some of his comments just get funnier and funnier in mm-hmm. season four. Like I still, like when I was watching Diane's Nightmare earlier today and Andy Andy is saying that he has met this wonderful woman and fallen in love with her and they're engaged and he really would like her to meet everybody, but there's just one problem. And Norm says, you killed her. <laughs> it's just <laughs> things like that, you know? Yeah. It's hilarious that he pops right. into the, the conversation. So, you know, I don't know. That's not necessarily just, just season four related, but I just think all of the characters were in like fine form by season four, pretty much. Yeah. No, they are. I mean, I think by that point, obviously you're, few years into it you kind of know what you want to do with the characters and who they're going to be cliff is somebody who just does by by and large usually get on my nerves he's not he's definitely my least favorite character to this point but again i know that that's just with how he just comes off so very strong in so many ways you know and and not in a great way you know he's just He's just obnoxious, I guess, in certain ways, you know, and there are some funny parts of him. Don't get me wrong. There certainly are. Right. But if pressed, he's definitely my least favorite to this point. Yeah. And, and the episodes that tend to be cliff centric are usually the ones that I just don't get into as much. Right. That's I think he's a great supporting character. I don't think he carries episodes very well, at least right. what we've seen of this. Right. I agree with that. And it seems like he is, to me, a lot of his value is what the, uh, how the other characters behave towards him, like how yeah. generous they are toward his behavior. Right. So, I mean, he definitely serves a purpose. Like, I don't want to malign him, but I, he definitely seems like maybe he's the one whose flaws bother me the most. You know, I don't know what it is, but that's or I don't know if that's it. But yeah, I definitely he I don't like the episodes that he leads or that he's the head of where it's a contrast that with norm and i've said this many times too i think that of all of these supporting characters like he can lead the episode most enjoyably in my opinion yeah you can see that um yeah and season four just has a just great episode i think it, to me it's like it, it goes i like the way that it goes overall you know as a season and it has great episodes season five when we get to that like i think there's some standout just phenomenal episodes but the season as a whole is not i don't love it as a season as much i think but there's just like you have um what is it from beer to eternity the bowling episode it's a classic but it's just also just fun and it's camaraderie and you know so forth so i just think it's it's a good season absolutely what are your thoughts on it no, uh, pretty much nothing you haven't already said, honestly. Um, I, I do think, I mean, I, I think they, they really are. There's just, there's so many highs to it. They're hit, they hit the ground running. They're fully formed. They know where they're going kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the writing really matches the acting. And I think that that's something yeah. that's not always been the case in the earlier seasons, which is normal in a show. It takes time to reach that point. But yeah, by that point, they're they're kind of firing on all cylinders, I think. Yeah. 
And it's just very natural too. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that they're not doing a good job earlier, but it's kind of like you could imagine that these people just do this in their lives, not that they're doing a great performance, I right. guess. Right. That's probably not the best way to <laughs> describe it. But like later on, you read things that George went, like that they've all said about how they stopped rehearsing after a point, basically, and just kind of like did the episodes because they were familiar with it. And it still is great. And they seem like they are those characters behaving in that way. But that is not the way that it seems at the very beginning. And I would say season four seems a little more like that, like in the sense that you don't always feel like you're just watching a TV. I don't know. I'm rambling on because I don't... <laughs> I don't feel like I'm just watching a TV show at the beginning mm-hmm. either. But by season four, it's just like there's a flow to how they all interact together. Right. I think. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's move on to season five then. What are your thoughts on this last season we just went through? Well, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. Okay. Um, season five. So season five i feel like they're they've just they've got some really high highs you know Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of my favorite episodes to this point have been in season five um it's probably no spoiler that i think our our mutual favorite episode of the entire series thus far appears here and that's cheers the motion picture other great episodes dinner at eight ish i think i ranked that as like my number two um for the for the season um, you have Abnormal Psychology, both of which just happen to feature B.B. Newirth, who I think that's kind of a harbinger of, of things to come. Of good things Her it character is. And, yeah. and what she brings to the show. But I think overall in season five, you just, it's a very interesting season because you have the first half with the Sam and Diane relationship kind of on the rocks. She's refused his you know, proposal, and then she wants, then she tries to say yes, and he's like, no, it's no longer up for, you know, the offer's closed. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, they kind of sink back a little bit into the older dynamic, but you still have some great moments between the mm-hmm. two of them. Um, and then, of course, the the second half of the season is pretty much aggressively wedding trek, you know, mode and everything. Right. So, um, but there are some real high highs. Um, there's... I don't really think there's any low lows. I mean, there's some episodes certainly that don't work out as well as they might have wished, but there's no terrible episodes with maybe the exception of Dog Bites Cliff (laughs) that we both kind of ranked pretty low. Um, But overall, there's just, there's some good episodes here, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I think it's interesting, too, that you said for a while they're back to the, like Sam and Diane are back to the dynamic that they had in season four because it seems like, you have the end of season four. It's kind of working toward the, they still have this attraction. What's going to happen with that? Because even when you go through, oh, what is it? Like fear is, there might be one before it, but fear is my co-pilot, certainly. And then Diane Chambers Day, you know, they're kind of almost toying with getting back together. And then you have the Janet Eldridge episodes at the, what is it? Strange Bedfellows at the end of season four. And then the first couple episodes of season five seem like they're really moving along. And then... It does kind of go back in a way to, you know, some of the episodes have that more of that spirit of season four, I guess. Like even like Dance, 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 which is fairly close to the middle of the season when they get back onto the wedding thing. But like that one to me just seems like it could have been was like maybe a few redactions, I guess, could have been in season four. Right. Um, and there are a few like that. And then, of course, Thanksgiving Orphans, which is classic, but it's also a well-deserved classic. It's just almost perfect, like just so funny and, you know, yeah. companionable, but just hilarious, mm-hmm. well-built, everything. 
and you have Sam and Di- Diane, you know, kind of saying, what was it like? We'll have many holidays together once you and I are one, you know, and all these statements that she makes. So they is part of the the plot of that season. But other than that, it could be probably like a season four right. episode too, you know. So there's a definitely like a mix between seasons four and five in some of them until we get to that last half of the season. Yeah, I agree. What else to say on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a it's a good season. It's got some real yeah. highs and and everything. And again, this is this becoming trite out of my mouth, but you know, they're really firing on all cylinders. It just everything's oh, yeah. matching up, and and it's just thoroughly enjoyable to watch. And then back to dinner at eight ish. I think you have mm-hmm. again, you have kind of a, a dynamic building. Frazier's a part of the main cast now. Right. Um, Lilith is going to slowly be introduced as a main uh, as a regular I think and just the two of them you know two new mm-hmm. characters really to the dyna- to the dynamic and knowing that they're going to be a part of the crew for for years to come is is fun yeah and they really carry that episode I think I mean I don't yeah. remember if we said that directly and when we were doing the um like the specific episode summary for it but I mean Sam and Diane are there but really like those scenes in their home, you know, like or start with them. A lot of it is just them. And then Sam and Diane come in and it's all of them and so forth. And that works really well. But the scenes that are just the two of them, like you said, these are two, like this is only Lilith's third appearance. And the first one was somewhat fleeting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the second one was definitely a supporting appearance. It was a lot stronger and they're very watchable. They seem like a sort of a co-lead couple, at least for that storyline, you know, so that was definitely a harbinger of good things to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a strong, individual, like, unique episode. I think that's one thing with season five that I do like is that they have different styles of episodes. And I'm not versed enough to tell you what those styles of comedy might be. <laughs> but that, to me, seems very different than, like, Thanksgiving Orphans, which has, like, all types of humor and some slapstick in there that works well, in my opinion. That's different than sort of, like, the farce of... Um, Young Dr. Weinstein, which I also like quite a lot. Yes, um, yes. And then all of that is very different than Cheers the Motion Picture. So you just have different things through, throughout the whole season. And I don't know that we've really seen that before in yeah. previous seasons. And I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I, I think Frasier, too, like I said, in season four, he's kind of, you know, he comes to the bar on his own and he's more part of the, the gang. But in season five, he definitely is. And he has that sort of... It's gone from being kind of nerdy and naive to being a little more sarcastic and cynical and so forth. I think it's, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great beginning of that change for him. Um, like what was the episode when he goes to the hockey game, the never love a goalie part one, mm-hmm. when he's disappointed about the death of Bombo, the chim- Dr. Harry Harlow's chimpanzee and Sam convinces him to go to the hockey game with Carla and he gets in the fight and all of this. Um, that and then in the next episode when he's watching hockey and what is it he says like Norm talks about how like one somebody got a penalty somebody in the game got a penalty and Norm's like we almost cut the guy in half and Fraser says I'm like well ticky tack it's a wussy call let the guys play the game (laughs) it's just so different than you know what Fraser two years ago would have said Mm -hmm. so I think that was a lot of fun too yeah definitely just him you know he seems happy observing some of the kind of nutty things that he would have maybe disapproved of two years prior. Yeah, absolutely. Can I also say something like if we're talking about character dynamics, Carla and Frazier, I think are an interesting sort of friendship Mm. and they're friends around both 
being, you know, repelled by Diane at points <laughs> or being, you know, Carla is just repelled by her. Fraser, of course, is upset by her and whatnot. But I think there's a lot of humor around that. And I think it's interesting that Carla sort of like is, has sympathy to Fraser to a point. Mm-hmm. There's that episode with Candy. I think that's in season four. I think it's the Lilith, like the episode when we first see Lilith. And Lilith leaves and like Fraser's been dumped a bunch of times. And oh, Carla yes. makes some comment about to Sam about like, can't you just <laughs> give him one of your hand-me-downs? It's like, it's, it's not like she's just like full on in support of Fraser, but she kind of does feel sorry for him, you know, and she's sure. like, yeah, can't you just help him out, you know? And then their celebratory behaviors, like when Sam and Diane break up or whatever. I just think that's, I think that's kind of fun. I like that relationship. Mm-hmm. That's a, uh, I did, that just reminded me of that episode with uh, Jennifer Tilly, right? That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so good in that. <laughs> yeah. She's so good. Yeah. Oh man. So many moments. Well, there's so many moments. See. There's so many. There's just great discussions too. Mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that just enriches the episodes. Even you know, like whether or not you're just completely bought in with like the main plot. Some of these background discussions that they have going on. Like there's the one on like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. There was the one about when Diane asks, like she says she can't fathom how one can drink ice cold beer in freezing weather, <laughs> and Norm says that Cliff's going to have an explanation, and he goes to like. He pauses, like, when the British ruled the Punjab, <laughs> he talks about, you know, just goes through this whole explanation. Mm-hmm. And that was an earlier Cliff moment that was just more fun trivia. But to talk about, like, temperature balance. So there's always, like, something going on, I think, that makes it a lot of fun to watch. Sure. Amidst the, the main story. Yeah. What do you think of how Sam has kind of come into the picture at the very beginning and changed in these years, if at all? So we haven't really discussed him directly all that much. Oh, how has he changed? Or just anything about him. I don't feel like he's changed all that much in the biggest ways. I mean, I think he's mm-hmm. I think he's been revealed more as a very loyal kind of person to his his customers, who I think he sees like family. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way he's like a mainstay. He's consistent, you know, steady and, and consistent. I mean, obviously, you know, his playboy ways are, are tamed a little bit but by Diane, but he, it's still him. He's still him, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and he's, they're tampered, they're tempered down by her for whether right. that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But he's still him, I think, you know, right. and, and he still gets those lines in and you still get the idea. And almost, she almost expects that of him you know she she knows how he's gonna be by that point in time and she doesn't completely hate that i don't think you know there's all those jokes all the way through about his past and everything and how he is and i think that that's that's him you can't really take that away from somebody that that's you can control i mean he can control it obviously if he's going to be in a monogamous sort of relationship but you can't change the past from him. So I feel like he's yeah. pretty consistent all the way through, at least my read on it. Yeah. I do think that she is less apt to pick apart or complain about like anything that he says or anything that he does like later on than she was yeah. at the beginning. Like her disapproval of everything, single thing was a bit stronger. I think at the you know first couple of years, mm-hmm. she does have that moment in dinner at eight ish when he, when Sam has 
greeted the caterer and she's like oh sam malone you beautiful yeah. man and talking about doing massages and all of this and mm-hmm. diane had, goes into that spiel about like why is it that we cannot go to one place without running into someone that you've had a relationship with or whatever and she names like the market wherever they've been and also like when they went to have their blood taken <laughs> you know so she right. had, does have a few things to say here and there but yeah i think you're right overall it's she's expects it and it's just kind of like all right you mm-hmm. know rolling your eyes a bit that's it yeah yeah, I guess I just don't really feel like he's changed all that much. And I mean that in a great way. I mean, you know, he's yeah. had things happen to him, certainly. But but he's not, we've not seen huge drastic changes in him, I don't think. He's the same person he was. And I think first mm-hmm. and foremost, his love for the bar and his role as a bartender, I think that's, I think that's a lot of, that's a huge source of pride for him, you know. I, I think you yeah. see that through in his characters a lot. Yeah. His relationships, his womanizing, it all comes and goes. The women come and go, of course. Mm-hmm. But the constant thing is the bar and, and his his customers and everything. Right, right. Yeah. I was going to say, too, like with the womanizing, Carla, you know, you see kind of Carla consistently goad him into that or like, you know, he, telling him like he's a hound and so forth. Yes. You know? so yeah, that's yeah. one thing I think that's consistent with that. I think you're absolutely right. It is like this his role of the as the you know, the owner of the bar, making sure that it's a good place for anyone to mm-hmm. to visit and yeah. to feel like they can be welcome, be a part of things to whatever degree they want to, you know. I think we see a lot of that like in season one and it really just continues through. Like even the episode the whatever the what is it? The one with the bully that I can't remember the title of. Um but even the guy that was the bully was like said to like didn't want to cause Sam trouble. It's like you know nobody wants to really they, they all like Sam. Right, know? right. Sam's because, just like the host. He has created this place. Yeah, he's the host to all these sort of characters, and and often things he gets roped into even when they don't involve him. But he's going to stand up for the right thing, and you know I, I think of those episodes like where he there was a teaser where he approaches these guys who have probably had a little too much to drink and he's like okay hey why don't i call you a cab and they're like oh right. we have a designated driver and it turns out they don't and they couldn't he figure just, out who it was and right. he's not judgmental about it he's not he's not judgmental he's just thing. like hey i'm mm-hmm. just gonna take care of you I'm, I'm just here to get the job done kind of thing and no frills about it i think i like that yeah I think that's a huge thing is that he's not, he doesn't really judge people for their failings. I think that, you know, they see occasions when he has an opinion on something or he you know says that something shouldn't be done. But even mm-hmm. like in the one when like the guys were trying to convince Norm to cheat on his wife with a client or whatever. And Sam was telling him like, you don't have to do this. But then he also said to Diane, he's like, give him a break. Like he's not had a lot of experience with this. It has some sort of moral compass on it, but he mm-hmm. also isn't going to be overly judgmental about it too right. so well and you yeah. know he's it's interesting he's, coming from him i think he's so transparent about his own failings he's honest about it he was yeah, a drunk who threw his career away and i mean his own words he's honest he doesn't try to hide that he's honest about that and where he is in life and he doesn't make any yeah. many excuses or anything for it and i think that's true he's just honest and transparent with people that he's around and he puts them at ease because he's that way mm-hmm yeah, I think you're right. He's just like a natural fit for a bartender, really. I mean, he's just, mm-hmm. you know, him and Woody both, really, but especially him. I don't know. It's almost like you could have an entire, I'm not saying that obviously wouldn't work, but it's almost like he's the kind of steady force you could have an entire show built around him without him as some sort of real character and it would still work. You know, like he's just like this hmm. this great central kind of force with these people and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I like him a lot. <laughs> 
I'm trying to think how has he really grown per se, and that that's not to imply that he hasn't grown, but in terms of is he a different character from how he was on day one? I don't really think so. I think he's. I don't either. I don't think he's taken. I don't think he's seen the need to change a lot. And he tries to commit to Diane and tries to change his ways in certain respects, of course. Right. But those are that's right. more superficial, you know, in terms of who he is as a person inside. I think he's pretty much the same. And I don't think he sees yeah, any too. real reason to change it. But then again, he's also, I think, he's an outsider. He's an alcoholic. He runs a bar. He can't drink with it. I think, I think he's yeah. automatically cast mm. as this outsider who has to kind of be okay with how he is because he can't do the same thing everybody else does or bad things will happen. Does that make hmm. sense? That's like, a, it does. I hadn't you know? thought about him being the outsider before, but I like that. I mean, only in the sense that he has to kind of be a part in his behavior. Yeah, 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 kind of he separate. He can't have yeah. a beer with Norm. He can't have 13 beers like Norm does. He can't, he can't do that <laughs> right. because that would lead toward bad things for him because of his own unique past. Right. And yet he can still be around them, but he has to keep himself at a... Like, like a remove of some yeah, sort. Yeah. Only in terms of that. He can still relate mm -hmm. to them perfectly well. It's not like he's distant in that regard, but he has to say, okay, I'm, I've got a line, I can't cross it kind of thing. Right. And I don't know. I guess I just think, obviously... I'm not the first person to think this, but the whole the whole concept of him as a as a you know recovering alcoholic running a bar is like you're putting yourself in that situation every single day. How do you do it? You know, and we always right. see him chugging the seltzer water and chugging the coffee and everything and as a yes. way to kind of temper or he'll have a whatever else might come. Right. Yeah, but still, I just think it's incredible that that he has that 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 willpower. I guess I don't know. Mm -hmm. And they've been very, and really are, like, through the entire thing, very consistent in somebody else has a glass of wine, and he'll have a glass of water or whatever it is. So he has a beverage. Like, even, like, in the Thanksgiving episode, you know, yeah. they have the wine pouring on the table, and then they have his bottle of water. Mm -hmm. Or I think it was in, oh, gosh, was it in The Proposal? It was in one of those episodes when he comes in, and he's frustrated about something that happened with Diane, and he's like, give me a seltzer or something just the way like Frazier would come in and be like give me a scotch right you know? right exactly and he's pouring like for Diane I think of like dinner at eightish when they're at you know Frazier and Lilith he, he pours her a glass of wine he's no a, problem yeah he just does it no wine. problem he's mm. not gonna have any for himself right. I don't know I just think I think that's remarkable I like constraint I do too I like the way that that's been done <laughs> through the whole thing yeah who would you say is your if you had to pick one character mm -hmm. the first five years for whatever reason who would it be? Mm -hmm. My favorite? Is that what you're asking? My favorite character? For these five years, just, I think I have a different opinion, like in the whole, you know, the whole 11. Sure. Just these first but five seasons. The first five years, point. I would have to say Norm. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily think that going in. I, yeah, I, I would say Norm. Yeah. What about you? Probably the same, but I will say a very close runner up if I couldn't pick Norm or whatever, I would want to represent Coach. Coach I really yeah. think no, Coach was. And when I was reading through the James Burroughs memoir recently, a lot of people were remarking in, you know, like comments or, or, or Burroughs himself was remarking that, that in many ways, Colasanto was the heart and soul of the first few years of the show. He was just in terms mm -hmm. of who he was as an actor and what he brought oh, to the wow. set. And I, I think that comes through. He's mm -hmm. universally loved. He's just, I think that really shines through with his character. He, he is. And there are instances when Carla, who would have jumped on anybody else for saying something, <laughs> you know, anywhere near what Coach has said, 
sort of like either will smile or just accept it or whatever mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. coach. Yeah. But there was one I was reading. I don't know if it's, it's like a little scene in an episode when, what was it, like the phone repairman comes in, I think. And Coach was not sure that the phone repairman was supposed to be there. So he's going to call Sam to see if Sam had called the phone repairman. But then, of course, the phone doesn't work. And so he was like, oh, gosh, it's lucky he came by today. You know, and Carl's like, sometimes fate takes a hand, Coach. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. Exactly. And, you know, if it been like Cliff or even like Norm, she would have razzed a little bit. Cliff, she mm-hmm. would have just completely ripped apart like anybody else she would have had something critical to say yeah but the things that coach does she just sort of has affection for them i think absolutely absolutely he's you can't help it you know he's just a lovable well-meaning kind kind of guy you know and yeah yeah so i would definitely want him represented in that um but norm I, i just enjoy norm i i enjoy his approach to life his philosophy his his wry sense of humor, everything about mm-hmm. him. It's just, he's just a great character. And he, he's, you talk about consistent, that's him. I mean. He is consistent. He, and he's happy I, with consistent. <laughs> yes. I do think at the beginning, I can't remember if I've already said this. Like in the first episode, he was a l- portrayed, I think, as being a little bit down on his luck. Like I could see the character going that way. Mm. But I don't think they, I mean, they didn't take it in that direction overall. And it went more to this, I think, much more interesting and just happy. Like Norm is happy. Where he is, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, that's been completely consistent. And there were a couple things early on, too, when he would make comments about women. And I think it was just sort of supposed to be like the guys at the bar kind of thing. And then he kind of gets out of that. I'm like, that doesn't seem very consistent for Norm so much. Um, so that, I think, was a little earlier on, maybe not being quite solid on that part of his character. I don't know. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, not it's not anything big. Yeah, overall, very, very much just one that's living out his own particular life philosophy and i even think that i see some of his comments about vera a little differently because i don't i mean overall it's not great that he's making fun of his wife all the time but then (laughs) and also like very mild spoiler alert there is a point later on when you kind of have the inkling that this might be going on the exact same way but in the reverse direction that she's also doing this too (laughs) so (laughs) that could be just part of their relationship dynamic sure and i've thought about that as we've discussed it over these five years too that's just kind of and he and sam had that conversation about like we just make fun of our women or whatever yeah um so i don't know it doesn't it doesn't really get on my nerves as it probably once did well i think i I don't i don't think it's I don't think he's being really, you know, I think he's making some of it up. So. Oh, yeah. I think he's playing for an audience. And some of the mm-hmm. jokes are even at his own expense. They oh, mention yeah, her, but ultimately the joke's about him or whatever. Right. And, and how he's, I think of that recent one in, in one of the season five, uh, House is Not a Home, where he's talking about, you know, a house, you have to paint it, you have to clean the gutters, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how she is a strength. <laughs> Basically implying he doesn't help at all. It's all her right. that does it. That's not a right. bad thing on her. That's on him, you know, basically. And so you have those jokes yeah. and everything. But no, I think he definitely is playing him for laughs because he's had the chance to reveal how he really feels about her. Right. You know, he's he, he's just he's just letting he's letting off steam. It used to be okay to do that with people. You know, back true. In, back yeah, then, that's true. It didn't mean anything. It was it was just being a joke. You got it out of your system and you whatever. And it was yeah, it wasn't a big thing. So it's not overly personal. He's not sharing anything. I mean. He's making them laugh, kid, but it's not making it. Yeah, right. he's playing that it to an audience. He's doing anything for a laugh. It's just mm-hmm. that's just the dynamic, you know. And like you said, if there's 
I'd love to see if there's a way where, you know, we kind of get the hint that she does the same with him because it definitely seems like that might be what they keeps him going, you know? I mean, yeah. they're, they're probably yeah. the, the only longstanding relationship throughout. I mean, there's something to be said for that, you know? So That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. So I guess, I don't know. Let's see. You obviously know what's next because you have seen the show through on a few mm-hmm. occasions. Um, I don't. But mm-hmm. what non-spoiler discussion, what, what are you excited <laughs> for? And what's to come? I, am I supposed to pretend like I haven't seen it? Like, what would I be excited for if I didn't know it was coming up? Or really, what am I excited for? Okay, what are you excited for <laughs> me to see <laughs> oh, as okay. a new, my, new yeah. viewer? Because I was going to say, like, I could pretend, like, try to think about what that would be like, I guess. But although I really, I really do believe I have a memory of watching like, the first episode of season six when it first came on. It's one of those fuzzy memories. But at any rate... I just love Kirstie Alley. I love her humor. Might as well start with her since she's the new person coming on. I'm interested to see what you think of that, like how that changes the show Mm -hmm. and how the characters, you know, all the different characters respond to her. There are a few things later on. They're not necessarily plot points, but just like character relationships that I'm super excited to discuss. Mm -hmm. But it's not quite at the point yeah for sure but there's yeah so some developments around that like what you make of how some of the characters in my opinion do sort of change a little bit going forward Mm -hmm. one in particular i mean just if you think it's as funny (laughs) i guess too as i do particularly season six which i've told you is my favorite season Mm -hmm. in the whole show season six Um, mm -hmm. yes so i'm excited yeah i'm excited for that i don't know i mean they're just they're just different say too much it is going to be like more of a general spoiler that's know? okay that's okay you know i i like i said i'm, I I'm excited all the way around i'm excited and, all yeah the way i mean around. if you knew since you don't really know too many details i guess i don't want to say too much that's fine that's fine i will say i do think and i i, I feel like we talked about this maybe during season one because there's a lot of dark humor in season one that i really enjoy and even early season two i don't mean that there's not later on but they're just like particularly sort of you know, enjoyably, like the um, ordinary people joke. <laughs> I knew you were <laughs> going to bring that God, up. I knew it. I love it. When Sam talks about going out to, was it like Marblehead or uh-huh. somewhere, he went sailing. Uh-huh. And Carla makes a comment about trying to get her kids into sailing since she saw ordinary people. I mean, just, oh, it's so good. It's so yeah. vicious. It's just dark. And then there was the joke in season two. I think it's a teaser for a little, no, wait. Is it a little? No, it's homicidal ham because it's after Carla has had her baby. When she's trying to stuff her stomach again, like mm-hmm. to make people, so she'll get higher tips, thinking she's still pregnant. And Coach says, like, that's awful, Sam. Tell her to get rid of it. And Coach says, I can't, Coach. She's Catholic. <laughs> it's, like, it's abortion joke. In the middle of the <laughs> and it's just, I just love that. That was uh-huh. hilarious. But I think a lot of cheers is sort of born of tragedy or of life being difficult. And I think that carries on in a different way. I mean, I, I don't know that you see as much of that, like in the like in the, in the last couple, like four and five or whatever. And I think it carries on in a different way through the second half of the show. But I think, I like I said, I don't want to say too much because I do have like an overall opinion of it that I'm curious to see what you think. And then I also, I think, I, I think too, I'm saying more of what I think, and I don't know that that's appropriate. I just, I'm curious if you see the same things that I see, and I think one thing in, that comes up across cheers is that like sort of friendship trumps romance Mm. or something there's something more lasting about that and i don't know that anyone is saying that necessarily but there's something a little bit more ephemeral about these different relationships interesting 
We'll have to, yeah. I mean, when something comes up, we'll have to discuss that yeah. more. But sure, that's those are some of the like larger themes. I'm curious. Yeah. I just I don't know like what you'll think of the individual episodes and what you think of like the newer characters. Mm-hmm. Char- well, mainly Rebecca Kirstie Alley's character. Listen, I've got nothing but high high hopes. <laughs> Not just from you, but just from my understanding, my mm-hmm. very little understanding of what's to come. I'm very excited for it. I really yeah. am. It just seems like in many ways it's going into new territory from what right. we've seen to this point. And when some people say it feels like they really dive into it being more of an ensemble show, especially because in some ways I feel like it has been all along. But if that means that we're just going to even get deeper into that, then to me that can only be a good thing because I think there's yeah. so much untapped with the characters as of as yeah. of right now. So And I think too, like an ensemble show isn't necessarily just having a character, like a you know, a supporting character that has an episode that they're leading, like an episode about Carla or an episode about Norm or Cliff or somebody. But it's also like how all of those people are interacting like in the stories of the episode. Like I right. think that some of the ones that I really like, like Thanksgiving Orphans and then Cheers the Motion Picture and a lot of season four and I may be in my mind skipping the ones that aren't ensemble driven, but some mm-hmm. of the ones that I really like the most are ensemble driven. Yeah. And so I think that that's something that's, you know, that's definitely develops more going forward. That's great. I um, think the strongest episodes to this point largely have been ensemble driven, yeah. um, like the ones you just mentioned. So I think if that's just more of that, maybe in a little different dynamic, I think that's only a good thing. Mm hmm. There are particular ways, I think. Well, so curious how you'll see the development of Kirstie Alley's character, because I think she's a certain way in season six, and then they kind of push her a little bit in different in seasons after that. Hmm. Um, they make her a little bit, not a little bit, <laughs> quite a bit zanier, I would say, to say oh. the least. Um, in some ways, in good ways, in some ways, in ways that like I wish she were sort of back to how she, you know, a little bit more how like grounded or wittier or whatever but that kind of i don't know just the back and forthness of her character and she does a great job with all of it Um, but i'm just curious how you'll see that and see her character in that regard and then i think just from comments i've read there are particular interpretations of her character that i don't agree with or i think are very surface oriented and so i'm curious what you'll see there See that that all just makes so me more interested. In, no, it's okay. I don't. <laughs> I like so that you're keeping specific. it. Vague. I don't want to give away. That's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I get it. I mean, basically, the there's parts. a huge amount of stuff that we're excited for, with yeah. with the next the next era, shall we say? So, what are you looking for? I mean, not, I guess it's well, you know, like I said, just a lot that you can say more diving into some characters, more more ensemble, giving some extra some more characters a little more depth, a little bit more to do, because mm-hmm. I think the Sam and Diane dynamic took up a lot. Um, and there was there was good material there. I mean, there there were moments where you know it was it was a little thin, and you know we got tired of it. Sure, but they did have some great material. They did. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason did. why they become legendary. So I'm just eager to see kind of how they pivot from that to being a little bit not having uh, I I guess a Sam and leading woman romance at the head of the show is my understanding. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they do with that, but. That, I think, is... I'm curious to see what you think of that, too, because I think that's yeah. also very interesting yeah. to me. So. I'm very excited. I'm very excited, and it has just been it's, been... it's been so much fun to this point, and I have no doubt that it's only going to get better, truly, and I'm very excited for it. All right. That's good. 
I think I told you that the first time I went back and rewatched all of these in like one fell swoop after I watched I Do, I Do, and I was watching them pretty, <laughs> pretty frequently on my days off or whatever I had time. But after I Do, I Do, I thought like, well, maybe I should just pause and just, you know, have a moment for a little week or whatever, however long before I move into the next season because it's a bittersweet ending and so mm-hmm. forth, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next day, I was like, well, I'll go ahead. I'll start. I'll see if I, you know. And, I mean, as soon as I started season six, like, I'd totally forgotten whatever emotion I had about right. the last one. So, it's, right. yeah. To me, it just, like, really gets going in a good way. So, awesome. I'm not building it up too much. No, no, I don't think so. I'm just, I'm, like I said, we, we've done five years and we get six more years. So, we're, we're mm-hmm. not even halfway through the entire thing. And yet, it feels like we've already covered so much. So in a way, it's yeah, just, I know, it's just, it's fun to think about the fact that we're just, just now getting really into the thick of it. I will say as well that I'm curious to see what you think of how they sort of, in little ways here and there, keep Diane a part of it. That's one thing I've wondered about, you know, is mm-hmm. it kind of the point where well, they I'm give it away? No, I know. But I've wondered, like, are they going to mention her? Is she, you know, she who must not be named? Is it how, how do they kind of move, you know, with that going forward? Right. So. That'll be very intriguing to see. Good. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Anything? I'm sure there's more. It's been five years of material, but is there anything else that was on your mind that you wanted to? Oh, I think at two hours, we're probably good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're saying wrap it up. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost as long as our episode for Cheers the Motion Picture. That's right. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.